I'm super excited to be on a panel where everybody is half my age. <laughs> and know way more than me about any of this. Um, so I want to introduce Chris Liu, who's an art director at Johannes Leonardo in New York. Chris also skates for Vans Australia. He's a skateboard historian, a photographer, a tinkerer, and a won't-stop maker. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Okay, great. Isaac Garang is a designer of South Sudanese background, currently based in Perth. His primary platform for self-expression is the clothing brand IX3. Welcome. Thank you. Luel de Quec is a freelance graphic and product designer. He strives to use his art to tell as many stories to as many people as possible because art has an int intrinsic and boundless nature that crosses artificial boundaries of skin, color, and creed. Welcome, Luel. Thank you. Rhys Paddock is an advocate of cultural leadership and the development of sound educational and training programs, working in environments that can and do create holistic, healthy, and substantial changes. Rhys's career in long-term networks began with educational support and mentoring programs of Aboriginal youth, both in primary and secondary schools, and his focus now is on bringing a modern adaptation of traditional indigenous cultures to the wider Australian forum in an effort to connect Australians with our common culture, which is people culture. Welcome, Rhys. So we're going to do what we did um, in the last uh, panels, which is we're, we're going to begin with um, a clip that will in some ways serve as a provocation for the rest of the conversation. also involved in the 1834 Pinjarra massacre in which up to 80 Noongar men, women and children were slaughtered. Sites named after Captain James Sterling have been struck by controversy in the past few years. In 1834, as WA Governor, he led a massacre of Indigenous Australians at Pinjarra, igniting calls for statues like this to be removed. They were involved in inappropriate treatment and in fact appalling treatment of First Nations peoples. What statues tell us is one very simple message, that the man that they depict is a hero. What these statues do is they tell people from marginalised groups that their views don't matter, that they have to adapt to European societies and they need to tolerate living under the shadow of men who oppress their ancestors. Some people will tell you that to remove a statue is to erase history, but the problem with that is that statues aren't very good at telling us about history. Very often, these statues have plaques affixed to them that give one side of the story. Statues cannot tell us the complexity of history if they are not contextualised, where the other side of the history imprinted onto them in some way, then I think they have to be removed and put in a place where we actually do tell history, which is a museum. What I suspect is that in the future, people will look back and be astonished that we ever tolerated living under the shadow of statues of men who were slave traders or colonialists. 
white Australia has a black history. And this is all that's got to be told. The truth, what really happened. What the early white settlers, even today the attitude hasn't changed. Chris, I want to start with you because you're responsible, I can say that, right? You're responsible for that guerrilla art project. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why you thought it was important to be in conversation in that way with those statues? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think originally the idea kind of started when I was, um, uh, I was living away at the time and when I got back, uh, the whole Black Lives Matter movement had just really kicked off because I was in New York at the time. And it was one of the most powerful things just to see everyone inside the city really unify at that one divisive moment. And I think uh, the importance of that project was, uh, for me, essentially just telling the truth. And it was just, it's as simple as you just can't hide history. And for me, um, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's just not right when we get to pick and choose what we, uh, what we get to tell. And I think it's just important for us all just to acknowledge uh, both sides of the story, really. Mm. Um, so there's this big debate that we began to have a little bit in the earlier panel, which was about you know, tearing the statues down. And that was a, a big part of the rhetoric and language um, that happened during, you know, um, during the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's a conversation that's continued. Um, and part of what your um, project did was it um, opened a conversation with the statue rather than tearing it down. And I'm curious what all of you think about the notion of tearing down versus being in conversation or doing both. Because all of your work in many ways engages with this question of history and with racism and with what the future looks like. Um, and so it's no accident that we've convened a group of young people to have this conversation. So I'm interested in, do you tear? Do you do something that's in conversation? Is it an either or? Um, I'll start with you, Isaac. Oh, thank you. Um, I kind of like, I sit on keeping the statues but providing an additional context because I feel like art is the relationship between thinking and feeling, so. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> Did you get that? Art is the relationship between thinking and feeling. Thank you, go because ahead. Obviously, these statues, they have a history, but then there was a story that was not told. Some people feel this way about the statues because they feel like that's their, their history, while um, a part of that history is like hidden and not, not told. So I feel like it's a very non-aggressive way of doing it, whereas if you were to just tear the statues down, a lot of people would just back off and close their ears and not want to hear the other part of the story. So. It's a very non-confrontational way of going about it. Who else? Uh, thank you. Um, I think um, I go back and forth in this because I think that uh, I agree with um, Isaac that there is art and there's history in these statues, um, despite their uh, connotations with um, these these past actions. Um, the the reason I differ from him then is because basically uh, they comes to a point where the discussion cannot even be had without um, 
the opposition just saying, shutting, shutting down discussion. They come, they, I feel like we reached a point where even in um, uh, the institutions that these are supposed to be done through, the, the, the power of, of uh, voting democracy and all this stuff, and um, the uh, councils who put up these statues or who have controls of these statues, I feel like there's opposition to that change where people feel frustrated to the point where they feel like they have to tear them down. Um, and I understand that frustration, um, and that's why I'm constantly back and forth. I, mm. I really don't know. Not settled on the matter. Yeah. Rhys? Thank you. So it's quite difficult for me to really um, respond to this question. I've really been trying to think about how I articulate the response. I mean, because I personally don't have much of a connection to any sort of a statue, you know. Um, so I can objectively, objectively understand why there is this sort of need of, you know, we don't like what this image represents. That's what art is, right? It's an image and it's, a, it's an idea. And I can understand objectively why people will go, okay, well, I don't agree with this image or this uh, representation or this uh, statue and why I want it removed from my point of view. So this seems like it's kind of like an external way of dealing and processing with things. And our elders talk about history and understanding and acknowledging history. So I don't really commit to this idea of if we're going to just that just means to remove things out of our peripherals and point of view. So I am sort of more on the side, I suppose, of not just not, not tearing them down. It's, we always have this, listen, the elders taught them, history is important to understand and to be acknowledged. We always talk about acknowledgement. And so by ripping something down and putting it away is not really, I don't think, acknowledging something. I think the change is within, we know this, right? It's a, something that is within us that we do within ourselves first before we start tearing down statues. And I think that's kind of my initial response. So underneath this question about tearing down, part of the reluctance for some people to um, insist on their tear down um, is because there's other people who are reluctant to e even have the conversation about the tear down is a question about anger. So like that's, that's what is, is at the root of this. Like how do we deal with the question of anger in present day conversations about racism and about moving forward into the future? So as people who are all operating in the realm of popular culture, so the shift from the first panel to this panel is that now we are um, moving beyond monumentalism, the kind of big um, hard power art and we're talking about this sort of um, newer um, memes, we're talking about popular culture, et cetera, right? So in the realm of the art that we're talking about now, anger feels like it plays a really big role in how young people articulate their feelings about racism, about sexism, about, what's, uh, about environmental degradation, about all the things that are happening today. So I'd love each of you to comment again about what you think about the place and role of anger in your work, whether that be your, your art, whether that be clothing, like where does anger fit and how you think about the world and how to respond to stuff? We can go in any order that you want, whoever wants to go first. Sure. Um, <laughs> so I think um, for me, it's, I think it's always important just for my personal stuff just to remain as objective as possible. Um, I think we can be really fueled by anger and I think a lot of that is great because it really makes us feel things and it really makes us drive towards striving for something. But 
I think a lot of the stuff that I, I like to see, uh, especially when it comes to social activism, is it being fueled by a point of view, but taking a stance which isn't, which is more or less in the middle, if possible. It's more of just a fact of just education, just spreading the message out there of what you think is right. But it's not so much as kicking and screaming, in my opinion. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. yeah um, so I think we kind of had uh, me and Lou had. A and a conversation like this, he asked me about um, if what fuels my creativity, whether anger or anything like that has a part in it. But for me, uh, there's no room for like anger. Anger does not fuel my creativity. If anything, it shuts me down. So I'll tell you guys a bit of a story. Um, I was coming from uni one time, I think like some th two, three years ago. And before that, I had early morning shift at like courier company, Star Trek. And so when I was Gone because I checked the time and I had a bit of time, so I wanted to go to the restroom and then go catch my train. And as I was going past, an older gentleman who was uh, the security uh, security transit guard, he you know he said something under his breath along the lines of "These people are more trouble than they're worth." Hmm. And so I went to the toilet, and then obviously natural reaction would be anger, but then I feel like in that context, if I got angry, I'd be confirming his stereotypes. But then I went to the toilet and I, you know, I gathered myself and I came back and I asked him, well, what, what did you say? Did you say this and that? And he at first he denied it. And then got to a point where he's like, well, you know, I just want to retire in peace and all this stuff. Because it was a lot around the time, this was around the, <laughs> this was around the time when the, the whole African gangs thing was going on on the, on the Channel 7 and all that. And so, and then I told him like, listen, I understand what you're saying, but I just came from uni, and before that, I was at work. So, you know, on a scale of society, I'm worth more than you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah, if anything, he's a liability to the society. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, that's, that's my relationship with anger. And I con contrast that with when I first came to Australia, and I was confronted with this thing called racism. I didn't, I didn't know what that was. And I was in high school, and all I, the only tool I had to deal with racism was anger. So I got in a lot of trouble when I was in high school, got into a lot of fights because of racism. But then as I grew up, I realized that anger is like, it just shuts you down and makes you just see yourself as a victim rather than someone who can educate the other person so they don't repeat some stupid comments. You know? Thanks, Isaac. Um, so, in regards to anger, uh, I'm going to take this from two contexts. The context is me as an artist working with emotions. Uh, we did talk about this and pretty much, I think, two days ago, three days ago. Um, and I, I did agree with him in that um, anger is not something personally that I use. Or emotion, I'm not emotionally driven when it comes to... Uh, I don't have to be in a state, in, a, in, in an emotional state to be able to translate that emotional state in my art. I feel like I have to be the exact opposite. I have to be at peace and I have to kind of have a clarity to then go ahead and translate those emotions to someone else on the other end. Um, in the bigger context of anger, in what we were talking about, like pulling out statues and stuff, I feel like our art is the antithesis to that. It's, it's not about anger. It's about finding joy in your culture and showing that in your stories and sharing that with people and getting people to realize at the end of the day, these, uh, these divisions we have are artificial. So I feel like art does that, and I feel like it combats that, that anger that we have, that a lot of young people have. Like I mentioned earlier, um, 
these tearing down the statues when it reaches a tipping point of anger where they feel there's no change coming, people um, are not being listened to, that's when the anger tips over into these, these things. And I feel like if we display our art from our cultures, from our mothers, from our ancestors, stuff like that, we can then uh, combat that anger. Thanks, that's great. I, I really couldn't agree with all of you mob right now, like what you're saying. It's, I'd kind of just be reiterating all of that um, in a lot of ways. I can't, you know, they, they, what, I heard this thing, they said that anger is, you know, it's a result of what, which is uh, fear. Right? I love this, it had this acronym of fear being uh, false evidence appearing real. Mm. So it's interesting because, you know, nobody wants to be angry. Nobody wants that, you know. So, and I know where I'm aligned. So, again, it's a, a really good question because, and it's, again, another one that's difficult for me to answer because I'm not inherently an angry person and not that I haven't ever been angry, but it's a difficult thing. But knowing that, knowing how people express themselves outwardly, I think it's... A, and, I, and I love this idea of art, art being this expression that brings you a little bit closer to where you actually don't want to be, which is in fear, which is in that state of fear. And so I do that, so like, I like to do that through humour, you know, so that is just one way that you go, at least if you can make somebody smile or laugh or feel something, you know, with your artwork and just for a brief amount of time, well, that's, that's a win, that's a really important part. And you can be angry for the rest of the day, but for that one little moment, <laughs> hey, you know, for that one little moment you go, ah, I felt a little something there, <laughs> hey, you know? I wonder how much um, your collective response to this question about anger and your relationship with anger um, is a, a consequence of your identities as not part of the majority culture. Um, and I think there's an interesting paradox because the stereotype is that um, black and brown people are angry, you know, angry youth angry black and brown youth is like such a stereotype. And I wonder um, if you can think aloud a little bit about whether part of um, making your way in this society is about actually being able to transform anger or whether that's just who you are, regardless, that's just who you were gonna be. In some ways it's an impossible question, but I'd like you to think aloud about it. Because <laughs> you, you guys thinking aloud is interesting. We'll go in the same order. All right, we'll go in the same boring line. We'll start with Chris. Um, oh, geez, yeah, it's, it's a tough one, because I, I guess I can only speak from personal experiences. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think for me, it's personally just, as what we were saying before, I think that it's, it's quite a bad way, I think, in my opinion, just to look at life. I, I, don't always want to feel angry, like we were saying before. But I think um, where we can, there's always where there's always anger, there's always a solution. And I think that there is more important for me. It's just focusing on that. Um, I hope I understood the question correct. Um, so how I look at it is like it's not so much transforming anger; it's more about dignity, it's about, because um, I don't know if I thought of this or if I saw it somewhere, it's like black excellence is the best form of protest because I can go out and protest as much as I want, 
trying to make people see um, my struggles and stuff like that through anger, through whatever form. But then if I feel like the most powerful thing is if I sit in my excellence and I express that out, let the world see who I am, who I truly am, and not their stereotypes, I feel like that's more powerful because I'm not in your face saying that, oh, look, give me this, give me that. I'm telling you, this is who I am. This is it's like, it's like LeBron James, Michael J Jordan, Michael Jackson. You can't, cannot deny their excellence, you know? That's, it's right in your face. And so I feel like that is more powerful than getting angry, mm. just being excellent. Beautiful. Uh, I think anger is, um, is a defeatist um, sort of mentality to have. Um, and unfortunately, um, having grown up in this country from a young age, I came here when I was 10, you kind of go through those periods where you do feel left out, you do feel like an outsider, and it, growing up here, you've, anger is, I guess, I would say natural to feel angry, and some people don't grow out of that, unfortunately. And it took me finding places and people and, and things that I liked that, um, that showed me a different side, that not everyone is racist, and not everyone wants to exclude me, that showed me that I don't have to necessarily be angry. I learned to deal with those issues and those people in my own manner, and unfortunately, a lot of people have to, a lot of people learn by themselves and don't, don't escape that kind of stereotype. Um, like Isaac was saying, like, uh, being true to who you are, I know as cliche as, as, um, as ever, but being true to who you are, I think, uh, can diminish someone's anger. Um, it, it, someone, racism, in my opinion, um, comes from a place of fear and anger, to an extent, um, and I feel like, I would, personally, having dealt with this, I think uh, I got a better response out of people when I wasn't angry. When I just looked at them, be it with amusement or pity. Some of them just deserve that pity, and, and they know it. And so uh, some people just, they, they feel um, seeing, seeing me pity them instead of being angry at them is much more, uh, it's, it's much more impactful emotionally to these people, to people who uh, want to exclude people, people who feel like, um, uh, I don't belong here. And so I feel like anger itself can be defeated in, in many different ways. Thank you. Again, I'm at the point where I'm just really trying to, I'm kind of at the end of the line, right? I'm like, oh, you, you've right, already said gonna, it all. We're going to switch it up for the next time. You're going to get the first question. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. Yeah. Look, <laughs> I was thinking of it like, um, there's, there's this element of, um, and this is a beautiful thing, by the way, we have this thing where we, as people, as human beings, throw the labels away in black and white and brown, we're really good at sort of fixating on problems, and this is like the biggest double-edged sword. So when we talk about anger, it's like, well, because we're actually really switched on to like, well, where is a problem, where is something? It's like white blood cells to a, to a virus, you know? So I always try to, whenever, I'm, whenever we're having these discussions and these topics about anger, I'm always in the back of my head going, there is so much that we can... There was that picture that was up there when the last group was um, talking, sorry, and it was right in the middle, and if you read it, and it said, find the beauty in the mess. And I'm like, that's a really important point, especially when talking about anger, because most of us, I think, are in this... are sort of aligned as humans, as really compassionate and empathetic and, you know, helpful and beautiful people. And we are just actually happen to be really good at finding out where things are wrong and where the anger is. But I, I'm kind of always step back, like that picture said, finding the beauty in the mess, and I go, actually, we should also take time to appreciate 
this right now. Mm. You see? Uh, those are my thoughts. Yeah? Yeah? yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'll start with you on this one. So part of what's interesting about all your work and the reason you're here, of course, is that you are engaging with popular culture in really interesting ways that, of course, aren't necessarily fueled by anger. They might be responses to what's happening in the world. And there may, of course, be anger as part of that, which is a, a valid you know, um, emotion. Um, but one of the things that I have noticed since I arrived in this country six years ago is that a lot of conversations about um, Aboriginal people are really f uh, focused on the past. And what's interesting about your work is that it is digital art um, and that it is um, in many ways really futuristic. And I have a friend um, called Ron Bradfield and he always says, um, he's a Bardi man from up north and he always says, um, you know, if we were yesterday's people, we wouldn't have survived this long. We're tomorrow's people. And in many ways, what the kind of art that you do embodies that. So I, I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the work that you do I in tomorrow's people. <laughs> okay, now I get to be a little bit like, oh, now I get to talk about myself a little bit. <laughs> okay, um, thank you very much. Um, yeah, look, it's funny, because hey, when people think of the word Aboriginal art and art, there's always this image that, I suppose you could do that with any something art, you know, everybody sort of has that image and when you say Aboriginal art, a lot of times people sort of think rock paintings and dots and, and lines and, and country and a lot of the times, you know, that is it, you know, and, that, and, and there is this really spiritual and um, uh, amazing connection that our traditional old people, old people of yesterday, our elders and people of today, um, uh, have that storytelling through that art and, and there's that real sort of sense of um, um, history between that mentioning history, um, so I suppose what I, I like to do in a way because you know I'm, I'm connected to this country, I'm connected to my mother's people and you know my Butamai Yamaji Nunga on the mother's side of the family, but I'm also as connected on my father's side of the family, which is you know like most Australians, a bit of Scottish, a bit of Irish, a bit of British. So I love this idea of taking traditional concepts and making them into a modern. Um, and putting them into a, into a digital design or something like this. Again, to have that outcome of a happy feeling, which is a lot of the time just in humour. So really, my work is just, uh, it's just taking traditional concepts and ideas and merging them into modern, um, to meme culture as well, you know? <laughs> Again, because I like that response, like that's the kind of response. And um, so what I'll do is I'll take, you know, traditional Aboriginal people and I'll um, uh, put them into like, oh, uh, reimagine them into like um, Star Wars or like as Romans or like, um, I had like William Shakespeare and I did like this poem, but he was William Shakespeare. You know, like just funny things like that. See, this is, this is it, like just to reimagine these traditional concepts in a modern way. So that's, that's, that's my game. <laughs> Gold. Uh, our Art is, for all those of you who don't know, we um, own a brand that basically um, explores identity. So uh, it's called IX3, and it's identity times three. Um, it's on an individual level, on a societal level, and it's on every, every level you can think of. So basically, we started with T-shirts. We have um, uh, shows which we put on which, with themes around um, identity. So what we've done is that we've used the shirts as, as a canvas because these are the things that we see every day that has, um, they, they, there's a particular value we put to give our clothes 
And we feel like it's, it's a, just such a disposable canvas that everyone is always wearing. Uh, why not use it to tell art stories, our stories, that are with artistic expression? So that's what we do. We try to, um, we, we don't stress about um, uh, the stories that are not uh, authentic to us. We tell our stories and, and stories of people around us. You want to add anything on? Yeah, he said everything. Well, he, well, he didn't say where we can get your sorry. merch. No, um, yeah, it's very, very, it's the same thing that Lou said. It's, it's about, because like uh, the idea of streetwear, like I was telling someone that if I was to like flip a Wu-Tang logo, like that would not be cool because Wu-Tang is from the culture. So it's like we take things out of the culture and we bring them to the culture and we reclaim them. So like the Maserati logo for the Mirabuka design, and like funny things, like I, I went to watch soccer at like Perth Italia like some months back, and I walked past this older Italian man, gentleman, and they saw the Mirabuka design with the Maserati sign, and they're like, "Why don't you just get your own design, uh, your own brand?" And then I was like, I felt like I achieved everything that I wanted to achieve because <laughs> it's, it's, it's working. <laughs> It makes, it makes you, we try to make you question, we try to find, uh, we try to put things in there where people can go and come back and be like, oh, that's a cool little detail I didn't notice before. Or if you know more of the story, you, you find out more of the story through these art pieces. So that's what we try to achieve anyway. Precisely. Where do we get the merch? ix3store.com. <laughs> go now. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm here for. Yeah. Um, I well, from my personal experience, because um, I grew up as a first-gen Asian Australian in a very white school, so it was for me, uh, I think it took me a while to really feel proud of my heritage, and so I think wherever I can, it's just standing up for a minority is always important for me, mm. personally. Mm. Wow. That was a really quick answer. I was still jotting notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of the, um, you know, one of the things we talked about a little bit, and I was teasing all of you before the panel started, was about this concept of memes, which you've just talked about, because my kids are constantly sharing memes. I have no idea. I'm completely excluded from the memes. So I want to have a conversation about, <laughs> about um, this generational thing and whether memes are intended to include people or exclude people. Like, am I supposed to get the memes? This is the question. <laughs> Am I showing my age? I'm sorry. Okay, I'm almost 50 years old, so I don't understand the memes. Are memes in or out? Like, are they, are they, ex are they developed to include us or to exclude us? What is the purpose of okay, a meme? Okay, okay, that's enough. Um, <laughs> okay. All right, so just so uh, this is from my... Research. Um, I put it like this: the research on how to explain this to <laughs> old people. <laughs> no. So um, the terminology of so the term meme. It is. I'm trying to think of how to explain this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really should have a picture with like captions on there to, as a practical example. Um, so a, a meme is something that is, um, so Richard Dawkins was the person who first coined this term and basically what he's saying in a nutshell is that, you know, 
we have genes as people, so we, what we do is, you know, nature uh, organises and shares its genes. Okay, we'll leave, leave that there. And what he's saying is there's this sort of parallel that memes, are, they act in the same way, but they are like ideas. So when you said the question, you know, does me or a meme supposed to, you know, connect or, or like what is the purpose? And in most cases, it's 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 they're there to make you laugh because it's what it's doing. It's, it's an idea. I don't idea. get the humor. I don't understand what they're. What, what is the joke? Okay, there's no one joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you got meme. You got it. You got meme. I got. I get meme. <laughs> um, Sometimes a meme can be sometimes a meme can be something that's humorous. Sometimes a meme can be weaponized. Like sometimes there's there's a very it's an idea that is shared multi, like like a like genes share. I believe, sort of the, I believe he called it a virus idea. Yeah, a that's virus why not? That's idea. a good. Uh, this yeah, could be much so. Yeah. It goes um, the way from my understanding is that an idea that spreads and everyone can connect to. And so that's why lots of people find it humorous because everyone can share in that idea because it's a virus idea. But memes are for everyone because it's just a language like an emoji. Yeah. It's just a different language in which you just have to interpret. You just have to get better at interpreting I'm it. I'm just getting yeah. my head around emojis. <laughs> <laughs> and the interesting thing as well is that memes evolve. Right. So, just like genes evolve, memes evolve. So if you looked at memes you know, in 2011, there weren't, you know, you had these demotivational pictures of and that, the cat sagging, you know, like the, that was the memes of the time. Actually, the first meme ever, by the way, on the internet. Um, fun fact for you. Do you remember that back in dial-up days? This is now, now I'm getting old, right? Back in <laughs> dial-up days when they had that dancing you baby. You have no idea what dial-up days were, but okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead from your research. Alec McBeal. <laughs> Alec McBeal. Remember yes. this? It was in everybody's email. That was the first one. That was the first meme, yes. and it's and, it, and it's constantly evolving since then. I guess. Huh? Um, sorry. No, no, no. I guess, I guess, um, going by Richard Dawkins, like you explained before, a meme would be, uh, like I said, a virus idea. So, the way I think about it is, you know, remember those wall, those cliche wallpapers that everyone used to have with the cat hanging and yeah. the motivational quotes? Those were the first. Used to. <laughs> I would, I would say those were the, those were the examples of what memes were before the internet age. Yeah. So it's just ideas that spread everywhere, yeah. and um, and then when it came to the internet age, they just evolved into something completely yeah. different. So the reason I'm asking about this is because I'm curious about how um, being embedded in a, a culture in which sharing visual images you know, like constantly that become understood within a particular in-group, how that affects the way that you think about your art. Like, does that have an effect on what you do and how you do what you do? I believe it does. I feel uh, memes are self-referential. It's like, haha, get it, uh, harking back to something that's happened in the past or some some event or maybe if it's if it's in a in a in group, everyone is in on the joke. Yeah. I feel like we uh, and the way others we, are out. Yeah. Um, no, no, not necessarily, <laughs> but um, there has to be a connecting string of some sort. So I feel like when we do our artwork, we don't um, or we we have a lot of self-references. We have a lot of um, it's not, it's not uh, references to a particular group, it's a references that popular culture, a lot of people know, and I feel like that's how memes have kind of shaped a lot of art these days. It's like they reference things, because memes are, in my opinion, memes, the evolution of memes is connected with the uh, explosion of um, sharing information, Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. And so with that comes with the widespread, the, the transmission of news as, as soon as it happens. And so memes have become a way of generating news at the same time. That makes sense? Yeah, it does, actually. 
Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Hey, you know what? It's because the really good and bad thing which can be is that we are in the age of information, so we're constantly scrolling. And the amount of information that is coming out of us is ridiculous. And I know you're all tired of it, because I'm really tired of it. And the meme is like what you said, it's, it's, it's that way that, it's the idea that you get quickly, you mm -hmm. bank it, you log it, and you scroll on. Yep. And then you, it comes at you in different forms later, you know? Mm -hmm. So this can be used in good, bad, and in any spectrum. I yeah, suppose. and I feel like some art, not necessarily ours, I feel like the self-referential can be, come from a lot of things, but I feel like um, a lot of art these days has changed. To, be, to, to capture that attention, quick attention span. And it remains to be seen whether that's a bad or a good thing. I know a lot of artists, when um, given limits, they make amazing things. You, you all remember, um, I'm sure, um, when things like Twitter and Instagram were first introduced, they were introduced around having restrictions. Twitter had only 140 um, characters. characters. Yeah. Instagram has square. Um, and so I feel like artists flip these and take these and evolve into the next step. These, these new mediums, and I think a meme is just another new medium which artists can then explain, um, uh, explain themselves or uh, get their art, artwork out. Did you wanna, you too? I feel like meme is like almost a loyalty program. It's like it's, being, it's a what? It's a loyalty program, it's like being rewarded for knowing something. <laughs> yeah, so, I have zero miles. <laughs> yeah, so I have like, no miles. But in the loyalty program. The only, thing, the only thing that I don't like about memes is like, um, it's almost become a vehicle for going viral in terms of, like, say, music. Say, if artists want to go viral, they try to create something that's memeable. And so I feel like that cheapens the whole what meme is, essentially, and makes it just a commercial vehicle instead of what originally is, just people sharing things for their, for their little community and just... I'm gonna come back to that. Yes, yeah. Chris, did you wanna? I think memes are really important. I think, and it sounds kind of a bit silly to say, but um, I work inside of advertising and as an art director, and I think what's the most important skill set that you can have as uh, a person who's kind of reacting to the culture is just the ability to listen. And that does, and that doesn't mean just doing what you're told. I think it's mean. It means, you know, paying attention to what's happening around the world. And I think memes are such a good reflection of what's happening today at this very moment. So this idea of, um, there is a point to the questions about memes. And I'm only kind of pretending not to know what they are. So this idea of, um, that you talked about, Isaac, with um, stuff going viral as like cheapening it and commodifying it is also, of course, that um, for virality equals power. So, of, of course, it's a co commodity, but also it means that um, there's a lot more people who can be powerful in ways that don't require money anymore. And so it, it does seem to me that part of what's interesting and important about memes and about the production of knowledge in a digital space, which is a kind of way in which you're all working in a pop culture space, What's important about it is the way that it challenges dominant narratives, the way that it challenges people who used to be powerful, but also the way it challenges the idea. Like, so it feels like putting up a statue that looks like a statue that existed for 200 years is not possible anymore if you believe that everything can be questioned, which is essentially what, what this new world that you guys are operating in is about, right? So it does feel like there's something about the form in which, and the new world in which you all live, which means that 
the old ways of doing art and of establishing truth aren't possible anymore. And I want you to comment on whether you think that is true or false. And that will be the final question on your test. <laughs> does, does the meme culture, do you get the question? Like, does it yeah. mean that, yeah? Okay, we'll let the other ones answer and then. Let him answer first, yeah. I don't get the question. Okay. <laughs> I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that it's, that meme culture is just making all other art redundant. It is definitely, it's just a new f medium in which we share information, that's all. I wouldn't say, you know, because there is still, a, people still respond to images in their own ways and you can still have art as it is and statues and um, uh, um, community canvases and, and things on walls and that's still as valuable. I don't think it devalues it, I just think it just shifts it from a different medium into this quick, as what we're used to on our phones all the time, which is just sort of this quick, like, yeah. now I get it, yeah, put that, save it, click on the save, put it, send it to your friend, as opposed to going to the art gallery, taking it, because that experience still exists and that's still valuable. So I don't think it's something that's like, it's an addition rather yeah, than... Yeah, yeah, I think so. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. It's not one or the other. It, it's um, sometimes these things just uh, just occur uh, as an evolution of things, like the internet, as a, as a consequence of internet and stuff like that. And I feel like we just we roll the punches. It's, it would be silly to think that there is, like, once the, cat is, once the um, Pandora's box being opened kind of thing, that it's, we're going to put it back and we're going to separate art and we're going to have high art and we're going to have memes mm. on the side. It's, it's kind of silly to think like that because I think it's just something we have to deal with. And like I said earlier, artists of all backgrounds it just take these things and it's just another, another challenge, another natural challenge. An artist can use a medium, um, a way of communicating, and another artist can use to just do something with it. Yeah, I think um, memes are very important. It's, like, it's almost like a magazine. It's like pictures with words. They convey the message much more powerful than just words could do. So I feel like, yeah. And the evolution of memes also like relates to mobile phones and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting because I think memes are, it's such a supportive culture inside of virality. Like I often think about the, uh, the banana tape to the wall at Miami Art Basel. I often think, I wonder if that would have had the same effect 20 years ago, pre the internet age, like because of the amount of memes and support that it had because of that. The banana what? You know the banana that Just was taped the to the wall? That was a very bad Yeah, it was, yeah um, I do. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wonder if that just came out in the paper, if that would have had the same reaction that it did today. No. <laughs> and on that note <laughs> so p part of what has been thrilling for me about this conversation is to recognize um, the very different relationship I think an older generation has um, with questions of power anger and art I think you all's relationship to anger is very different from my relationship to anger. I see anger as my fuel, my activism has been, you know, steeped in anger, like my most powerful moments have been when I'm angry. And it was really interesting listening to the, the four of you talk about anger as something um, that is draining of energy rather than helpful in your lives. And I think part of that is the, ex the extent to which um, 
anger is everywhere. You know, you, you all have grown up in a time when politics is incredibly polarized, where, you know, a human being called Donald Trump, you know, sort of hovered over the, you know, the world, a time in, when there's been flames and fire. There's been a lot of anger, and I think it's interesting to read your responses to that in a way that isn't, um, that isn't steeped in our own generation. I think that is the challenge. Um, that is a challenge I've been thinking about as we talk about this panel. And in many ways, it's so joyful to hear all of you with your humor and your reframing of questions and your thoughtfulness about what art means in a very everyday way in your lives. Um, so I'm feeling super inspired by this conversation. And if any of you have like one final thing that you want to say, something you want to plug or promo, because that's the culture. <laughs> my God, I'm so old. Um, so please do that now. <laughs> rx3store.com. <laughs> Go get it. Please. Catch me on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> my jam, Tumblr. <laughs> yeah, buy his shirts, man. Support, support the boards. I think it's Love great. It. Love it. Thank you all very much. I have some announcements to make before... Or Shaheen can make those announcements because... She is the boss, and that is even better. I will not start. Please go ahead, Shaheen. Thank you so much for your attention, and you've been a wonderful audience. Cheers.